0: We are continuing our series titled Lost in the Wild. Now, and today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a personality trait that can hinder us from being all that we can be in God's kingdom. And we started this series uh, two weeks ago. We took a break last Sunday. We're going to pick it up again today. This series is, is designed to help us find out or figure out what our identity in Christ is. And two weeks ago we laid the foundation for this series. If you, if you were not here, I really want to encourage you. Go to our website, vineyard05.com. Look it up. Watch that sermon. It lays the groundwork for the next uh, few weeks that we're going to be talking about this. But your identity in Jesus, our identity in Christ. That's something that we hear a lot um, uh, as, as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus. We hear that phrase a lot, but how do we get there? How do we find that out? And what are some of the things along the way that will help us kind of dial in what our identity is in Jesus? What we did a couple weeks ago is we looked at the life of Moses, and we looked at the fact that Moses had to make a conscious effort as to who he wanted to be. He had a choice to make, and he chose to identify with who he was born to be. He chose to identify with who he was to be in God's kingdom. And a lot of us, when we go through life, are like Moses. We we believe that we identify our identity as this. This is who I am. This is how I'm living. And then we have a Jesus moment where we ask Jesus into our lives. We become a believer. We put our faith in Jesus. And then we find out wait a minute, there's more to life than my career, than my family. Like, to find our identity and who we are created to be is kingdom-minded. And so there are things along the way, though, that, that might hinder us from kind of dialing that in. And that's something that we're going to look at today. As to the title of today's message is, Called, Qualified and insecure so insecurity is what we're gonna kinda look at today when it comes to the great adventures as a follower of Jesus because I think a, a life as a Christian should be an adventure it is an adventure there's nothing mundane about it it shouldn't be it's full of ups and downs adventures high points low points all of us though all of us are called to do something for God's kingdom here on this earth. Right? Like, like, when we talk about God's kingdom, like God's kingdom, right now, we are all in the presence of God's kingdom. Every, there's churches across the town that we create this atmosphere where we come with this expectation of meeting our Savior, of worshiping Jesus, of hearing a message that I can learn a little bit more about the Word of God. That is saying, I want to enter into God's kingdom right now so that I can become who God wants me to be. Or maybe you're in in an area of, of turmoil or struggle or whatever. It's just not the best chapter of life for you. So you want to come into God's kingdom so he can help pull you out of that. That's why we're here today. But we're all called to do something, right? And this calling, though, can be a constant like full-time ministry like a pastor or a church staff member or a life group leader, uh, a singer, a musician, children's volunteer. These are these are what I would call like constants. You're, you're kind of always doing something for the kingdom. A life group leader makes themselves available to those who come to their life group. You know I'm always available. Church staff is always available. The music, these guys are always practicing. Always doing something for the kingdom. And then if, if we're not like doing, doing a constant, we're, we're, we're doing what I call the adventures of God where he calls us to join him periodically through life. Now this happens for all of us. God might call you to reach out to that coworker. God might call you to become a part of this international mission. Maybe do a mission trip, long term, short term. God might call you to, to help a friend or a family through a really dark chapter in their life. God might call you to give sacrificially to a ministry. These are things that I call the adventures that God calls us into where we have to say, okay, God, I think you're calling me to do this. How how are we going to do this? Those are the adventures of being a part of God's kingdom, a follower of Jesus. So when God calls us, though, here's what happens. He qualifies us for the task. For every one of us, we deal with this certain emotion that when God calls us to join him in something, and that emotion is insecurity, inadequacy. We all feel this, no matter, I, you know what, no matter how secure we are in ourselves, we all feel this, this, can I do this? You know, like, like do I have what it takes to do what God is asking me to do? Will people follow my lead in this? Do people believe in me? Am I, am, I, am I really called to do this? And when you ask those kinds of questions with an expectancy that God's going to see you through that, that's who God is looking for. That's a part of the, the qualifying process of being called by God. Because I have found out that God isn't looking for the most confident person you you ever been around one of those people that's so super confident in themselves that you're just kind of like could you you just bring it down a notch like you're you know what you're not that good (laughs) you're thinking it right but right like like somebody who's so super confident in themselves I don't think that's the person God's looking for he really isn't he's looking for the person who isn't quite too sure how this is going to happen He's looking for the person who says yes to the call, but then says to themselves, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I, can't, I, I don't know how this is going to happen. You know, for instance, like when the angel Gabriel visited Mary, you know, she said, well, how is this going to be? You know, I'm a virgin. And he explains to her, and she says, let it be so. There's a difference in saying, how am I going to accomplish this, as opposed to, There's no way I can do this. It's it's a heart posture. And it's a willingness to step into something that God is asking us to do, calling us to do, without knowing exactly what we're getting ourselves into. See, rarely does God, rarely, I'll say rarely because I know there's exceptions, rarely does he call the qualified. But he always qualifies the call. You know, when I felt called to the ministry, man, I I had been a believer for a short period of time, and I I just felt this something within me. And so I set up a meeting with Pastor Dave and and, and met with him, and, and he confirmed, we both confirmed, yeah, there's a call on your life. And so I started walking that out. I didn't know what it looked like. All I knew is I wanted to do whatever it is that God was calling me to do. So, again... God's not looking for the person with the most confidence. He's looking for the person who will carry out the task, totally leaning on him for the wisdom, the strength, the resources, whatever it is that they need from him to carry this out. And this is what makes the kingdom of God so upside down compared to how the world works, right? The world works in a different way. The world looks for that confident person, for that person who can carry themselves in the business world, that person who can plow others over to get the job done. Right? Because that, I mean that's that's what you're looking for. God's looking for something different. Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God chose the world, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful? That's how the kingdom of God works. A couple verses later, that's verse twenty-seven. In verse twenty-nine, it says, "No one can ever boast in the presence of God because of the way God's kingdom is set up. No one can ever boast in the presence of God." In other words, it wasn't you that accomplished that task. You didn't have the means. You weren't powerful enough. You weren't wise enough. But God. Poured those things into you. So if there's ever any boasting or bragging to be done, it is in what Jesus is doing through us. Like, I I constantly lean on God's Holy Spirit to get me through each day. When somebody calls me up or says, hey, can we talk or whatever, or they've got something going on, the first thing I do is pray for the wisdom of God to help me meet this person's needs, right? I can't do any of this on my own so so that's number one and 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 now now what we're going to do here we we kind of laid the groundwork here like like god's kingdom is just opposite to what the world is right now we're going to continue to look at moses and we're going to look at what we see as the first encounter that moses has with god where god calls moses to join him in setting the israelites free from the captivity of the Egyptians. They had been captive by the Egyptians, in, held in slavery, in bondage, for 400 years. Now, just to give us a little context, a little backstory here, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, Moses was born, so, so the, the Israelites began multiplying. Even in the captivity of slavery, God was building a nation. And the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, sees that these, these people are multiplying, and if I don't do something, they're going to they're become more than we are. So he puts out a decree, every firstborn male is to be killed. Moses was born, firstborn male in his family. So his parents, after three months, they hide him, they put him in a basket, send him up the river. The pharaoh's daughter sees him, falls in love with this baby, brings him in, raises him as, his own, as her own. Now pharaoh, an Israelite, raised as an Egyptian, Comes to an age, he identifies as an Israelite. So then one day, he's walking under the grounds or whatever he's doing, and he sees an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So he steps in. Him and the Egyptian get into a little scuffle there. Moses ends up killing him, gets a little panicked, buries the, the body, goes on his way. Hopefully, nobody saw him. Next day, a couple days later, two Israelites are arguing. Moses steps in. Hey, guys, what's going on? What's the big deal here? They look at him and they say, well, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did that Egyptian? Moses panics. He flees. He leaves Egypt. Okay? Goes to this place called Midian, meets a man named Jethro, lives with Jethro, begins working for Jethro, marries one of his daughters. They have a child. Moses is tending to the flock out here in Jeth- that Jethro owns. Now, mind you, when, when Moses fled Egypt, he was 40 years old. Now, when Moses has what we call his burning bush experience, he's 80 years old. Now we're going to read a little encounter that Moses had with God. So uh, this is uh, in uh, Exodus chapter three. So Moses is out tending to the flock, sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. So he's he's intrigued, and he walks go over to it and gets a little closer then here's this voice, Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Take your sandals off. That's how I picture it. I don't think God has like a squeaky voice, but (laughs) I'm not even going to do that, although I want to. So Moses, you know, and he has this encounter with God, right? Keep in mind, he's 80 years old. So here in Exodus 3, verse 9, God says to Moses, Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested God, "Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Israel, of Israel, out of Egypt?" And God answered, "I will be with you." We'll stop right there. And he says, listen, this will be your sign, Moses. When you bring them out, you're going to meet here, and everybody's going to worship me. Now, God gives Moses the assignment of a lifetime. Also, something we must consider is that uh, Moses had been gone for 40 years. So the Pharaoh, everybody that Moses knew, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh and everybody, they had passed away. They're gone. Nobody really kind of knows who Moses is anymore. He's he's disappeared. This right now is what Moses was created for. He was raised as an Egyptian, born as an Israelite, but raised as an Egyptian. He knows both people groups well, right? He should be able to work this out, to do the task. But Moses protested, and he says... Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? He didn't feel confident in the job. He didn't want to do it. Now, also throughout this whole thing, Moses never says, I'm too old. So I I don't think that was a factor. But here's something that I have come to the conclusion of about God and, and how he works. God will often use our life's experiences to call us into joining him to do something that he knows we can do. All right, The things that we have experienced in life, the good, the bad, the terrible, the ugly, the things we don't want to remember, God will use those experiences to call us to doing something for his kingdom. That's what Moses why he was the person for this. But God does not always explain why he's calling us to do this. That's why I call it an adventure. It's the mysterious nature of God. And this is what's happening to Moses. God calls him into this adventure, doesn't give him any details. And Moses is protesting the fact that God is calling him into something special, calling him to do a big deal. And God isn't explaining to Moses why he's the man for the job, which is often what he does to us. Because God is looking for our yes first. See, if we say yes first, he knows we're in it. He's looking to see whether or not we're going to be in it. When we say yes, when God calls us to do something, and we don't really know how this is going to play out, our hearts are in the right place to totally lean on and depend on God. So Moses protests God. I can't do this. God simply says, I will be with you. Again, a few verses later, Moses protests God. He says, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe that you sent me, the Israelites? Also, there's two plus million of them. So it wasn't like he was just going to go walk into like this room and say, hey, it's it's time to go. That's a pretty big job. God responds with then, he responds with, tell them, I am who I am sent you. You tell them the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am, sent you. They'll believe you. Now, just to put a little little context behind that statement, the Israelites would have known that God Almighty sent Moses. Jesus himself has uh, what's referred to as his seven I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. I am the door. I am and he says this seven times in the gospel of John. And the religious leaders got all bent out of shape over this because he was equating himself to God, starting a statement saying statement saying I am with the weight behind it. Another fun fact, when Judas and the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus the night that he was arrested, they said, "Are you Jesus of Nazareth?" and he says, "I am." And when he said that, they all fell out in the spirit. They all just, whoosh, the power of God came forth from Jesus. Big deal. So God says, listen, you just tell them, I am who I am, sent you. Well, Moses protests again. here we can find ourselves in the next chapter, in in, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what's in your hand, Moses? It's a staff. Throw it to the ground. He throws it to the ground. It turns into a snake. Moses jumps back. God says, now pick it up by its tail. He picks it up by its tail, turns into a staff again. You show them this. They'll believe you. Moses, take your hand. Put it in your cloak. He puts his hand in his cloak pulls his hand out, it's all withered and leprous. Put your hand back in there, puts it back in, pulls it out, it's well again. These are the signs for you to show them, and they'll believe you. I mean, like, like God's pulling out all the stops here, like, Moses, dude, come on. I will give you everything you need for them to believe you. So, so here, now, it's not just, not just a burning bush, the voice of God, The holy ground, all of this stuff, now Moses is experiencing the visible power of God. Could you imagine if somebody came in here and and, and threw something on the ground and it and it and it turned into a snake? And they said, God sent me today. Now, now I would say, No, he did not. (laughs) Because I garden, okay? If you know me, you know I spend a lot of time in my garden, and every spring I have this conversation with God. If I ever see a snake out here, I'm done. I'm not going to garden. I won't go back into it. I I just won't. Bees, yellow jackets, bugs, rodents, all of that stuff, fine. A snake? I'm out. I'm out. I am a big sissy. That's right. And I'm confident in who I am, Chuck. That's right. (laughs) Yep. There's only a couple times, well, last year on vacation, I broke down. I I, I lost it. And, And you guys know that story if you do. I would turn over my man card if I saw a snake in the garden no. <laughs> I know don't you put a fake snake in my office man I'll, I'll tear I'll blow it up I'll burn it down <laughs> but but you know God is saying yeah I hear Kirsten laughing too and now see I'm in trouble <laughs> God is saying listen Moses I will give you everything you need for them to believe you, right? The power of God, all of this. And then further, further in chapter 4, Moses says, but, but God, I don't speak very well. My, my words get tangled up. My, I get tongue-tied. I get, I get all tripped up on my words. I'm not the guy to do this. And in verse 13 in chapter 4, Moses says, Lord, please send somebody else. I don't want to do this. Now, God has had enough of Moses' protesting. Look, verse 13. Please, send someone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. He's like, uh, Moses, okay. All right. Here's what we'll do. What about your brother the Aaron, the Levite? He speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with both of you as you speak and I will instruct you both in what to do. And thus is the beginning of Moses. Moses' great adventure of freeing the Israelites from under the captivity of Egypt. And the greatest adventure ever. Moses born born a Hebrew, raised as an Egyptian, chooses to identify as a Hebrew, doesn't feel confident in anything God is asking him to do, doesn't even want to do it, basically tells God, just please don't send me. God says, all right, I'll send your brother. He will be your mouthpiece. You and him and I will do this together. God was not letting Moses get out of this one. And oftentimes, God will move on to somebody else. It's easy for us to read this and say, Moses, you, you, you got this, man. You can do this. And, and, and in all honesty, really, what I just list off, it's kind of true. He, he had all this stuff Kind of under his belt, like this burning bush experience, the fire of God, the voice of God, the visible power of God, all these signs and wonders, the things to say that would get that they would understand that you have been sent by me. And not only that, but God Himself saying, I will be with you. I will be with you, Moses in all of this but aren't we just like Moses sometimes like when God is calling us to do something we hesitate we 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 hear this voice and we have this thought but then we think there's no way I can do that absolutely not like should I share my faith with that coworker? who's been giving me a hard time for my faith for 10 years, why am I having these thoughts of sharing my faith with them, inviting them to church? Should we start this ministry? Should I start this life group? Should we join a life group? Should I get water baptized? If you're thinking these thoughts, then God is calling you into that. He's calling. You, listen, if you're thinking about getting water baptized, God is saying, uh, you know what, it's time. If you're thinking about joining a life group and you've never joined one before, or you've been a part of one before and it, it didn't end well, God is saying, it's time. When we begin to think these thoughts about entering into something in the kingdom, God is calling us into that. But we hesitate when we don't have the exact answer that we're looking for. We're looking for this burning bush experience. We're looking for the signs and wonders of God to tell us we need to do this. There's another guy that did this too, Gideon, right? He laid his fleece before the Lord, he did this, he did that, he, you know. When in fact, when we start hesitating about this, we're hearing from God all along. We just need to take the first step. We need to be the ones to say, yes, God, I hear this and I'm going to do it. It seems to me that from reading the story of Moses, he would be as secure in himself as anybody. He had an option, he had a choice, live his life as an Egyptian in the king's castle with with all the the pleasures and, and everything that came with that, or choose what most would consider the lesser of the two options and identify as an Israelite, as one born under slavery. And that's what he chose. I would think that Moses was pretty secure in himself. Moses stood strong against what the world would consider success to be who he was born to be. But here's what happens. Our insecurities show up at the most oddest of times, right? We, we might even think we're, we're not even secure. We, we might even think we're not even insecure. But then God calls us to do something, and all of a sudden, we start thinking these thoughts as to why we can't do it. God, send somebody else. I'm not, I'm not the person. I'm too busy. I've got a work, to, a job to do. I've got work to do. I can't do that, God. Send somebody else. God, make somebody else make the decision for me. If you're having those thoughts, I guarantee you, God is calling you into something. Here's a reminder that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young man. He was his protege. Paul raised this guy up. His name was Timothy. Timothy ended up pastoring the church in Ephesus. Pretty big church. He writes a letter called the Ephesians to that church. Here's what he writes. He writes a couple letters to Timothy. Here's what he writes to Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. St. Timothy, don't walk in fear. Don't be timid. Don't be scared. Walk in the power of God. Walk in the love of God. And walk in the self-discipline that you have of God. In Paul's uh, letter to uh, the Thessalonians, his first letter to them, in chapter 5, there's a section called Paul's Final Advice. It's an entire chapter, but to summarize it, it sounds like this. Live peaceably with each other. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Always try to do good to each other. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. And be thankful in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you and then he follows it up with this verse 24, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful as followers of Jesus we have been made right with God the creator of it all who sits in the throne room of heaven Jesus makes us right with God. And God will make all things happen that he calls us to do. Why? Because he is faithful. If you're walking out something that you believe he's called you to do and it seems like it's failing, it seems like it's not happening, it seems like it's not whatever, this is your verse. God, what's happening here? I know you called me to this. I know you're faithful to see me through this. What's going on? And then listen for his voice. Maybe, there's, maybe you need to, to just kind of tweak things a little bit. Maybe you need to relax a little bit. Maybe you need to pick it up a little bit. But when you, when you use a verse like this, not to just throw it back in his face, but to start some dialogue, I promise you the dialogue will begin. See, our insecurities, they come from a number of areas. Could be a traumatic experience. Could be like our childhood. Could be you know a lack of a, 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 a parent or two parents or, or something, right? Just just things that cause us to low self-esteem or insecure about ourselves. Could be constant criticism. You know, people who get criticized a lot, or if you are a criticizer, you're you're not helping people. There's constructive criticism to help somebody, and then there's always you know, tearing people down. If you've been torn down a lot in your life verbally, no wonder you, you, you have things that, you're, that are in you that have been spoken over you that you believe about yourself. Let God's Holy Spirit heal that within you. Sometimes our insecurities come from, from rejection or even the biggest one, we fall for the good old comparison trap, always comparing ourselves with the other person. Years ago we would call it, what, Holy Joe and spiritual Sally. You know, they're always way better than me at this. They're they're not any better than you. You just think that because you're putting them up here when God is calling you to do something completely different with the skills that he has given you to do. If God has called you to do it, he is faithful to see you through it. Regardless of the source or the cause... of our our insecurities. I think we can all agree on this. They cause irrational thinking. Insecurities cause us to think irrationally. Feelings of insecurities usually rear their ugly head at the most inopportune times, causing us to miss out on some big opportunities. But the good thing, though, is it happens to all of us. That's the good thing about it. We're not in this alone. And we live in a broken world. We live in a flawed world, and and we're broken people. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus heals us and and puts us back together and perfects us. And so how do we conquer this? How do we overcome these feelings of inadequacies and, and, and insecurities? Well, the starting point is to change the way we think. We have to change our thinking process. Whether we want to believe it or not, oftentimes our thinking is of the world. We've bought into the way the world thinks. The world's system of what's important or not. What's of value and what's not. Remember, Jesus causes the foolish to shame the wise. The weak to shame the strong. Jesus turns everything upside down the way the world thinks. Often Jesus started his, his teachings with this. You have heard it said, but I say. Matthew uh, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Just, if, you want, if you want to, to kind of change your, your, your mindset of a worldview to the kingdom of God view, start with Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It will rock your world. Everything turns upside down. So study those words of Jesus's. And let them dwell in you. Meditate on the scripture so that it becomes a part of who we are. So when those feelings of insecurity pop up, we can speak the life that is in in God's word into existence. When we speak these verses out loud, there is life to them. And it puts to death the things of the world that are beating us down i give you three verses right now. This is a life verse for me. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. When our thoughts are fixed on God, he will keep us in perfect peace. When we freak out about something and, 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 and we don't look at how am I going to overcome this, but God, how, how are you going to help me through this? See how that's different Colossians chapter 3, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Focus on the things of heaven. Focus on what Jesus says about the kingdom. Because everything here is temporary. But the kingdom of God comes crashing into people's worldly realms right here and changes their lives. And when God calls us to do something, we're a part of ushering in God's kingdom in somebody else's life. And then they get to experience the same thing that we experience in Jesus. Philippians chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everything I can do through Christ because he gives me the strength to do it. So, another thing, though, that we need to change our our mindset about is, is this. We have to learn to be comfortable with who we are. We have to learn to be comfortable with that. Everybody out in the world is wearing some kind of a mask so people don't really see who they are. We need to be comfortable in that who we are, who we are in Christ. We need to understand our identity. And understanding our identity in Jesus is all a part of our journey in the kingdom. But the most important thing that we need to embrace is our uniqueness. The uniqueness about ourselves that only God has placed in us. Listen, Psalm 139. I I got two verses, but this whole psalm is like this. This is the psalmist talking to God. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you are making me so wonderfully complex. Aren't we complex, church? Our thinking process, who we are. Sometimes we wish we weren't so complex, but thank God we are. That's what differentiates us from everybody else in this room. Embrace that. I call it a weirdness. Sometimes we're just weird. Some of us are just weird. Embrace it. It's good to be weird. Somebody needs to be weird. It breaks up the tension, right? Not too weird, though. Then he says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. See, the moment conception starts, God knows who we are before we're even born. And the moment conception happens, God says, now's the time. Everything that I planned for you is about to happen. Everything Now we have free will, so everything is kind of up to us until we invite Jesus into our lives. And from that moment on, I believe is when God says, okay, here we go, now it's you and me. Let's do this. I got plans. I've been waiting for this moment. God knew what he was doing when he created each one of us. God created each one of us so wonderfully complex, so much so that the devil has been after our identity since the beginning of time if he can get us to feel insecure about ourselves or about our identity in Christ then he knows he can hinder or possibly stop us from carrying out the plans god has for us what do you think happened back in the garden he got adam and eve to eve got them to question the word of god to to hinder their identity in God, in God's kingdom, so that they could no longer be who they were created to be. And the trust was broken. And we are forever dealing with that. Think about the story of Moses and how God used every little detail of his life, from birth to being put into a basket, sent up a river, to childhood, to being raised as an Egyptian... To coming of age and saying, wait a minute, I'm not Egyptian, I'm an Israelite. But who, who do I become? I'm gonna to choose to become an Israelite. That's who I'm gonna identify with. And, and from that moment on, he became, God said, okay, here we go. Well, he had a little mess up, he <laughs> killed somebody. <laughs> 40 years, and then God says, All right, let's go, Moses, it's time. I've been waiting for this moment. It's just the right in all of Moses listen here's something that should give us peace of mind in all of this in all of Moses's insecurities God still used him to do something mightily Moses led over 2 million people out of Egypt he and his brother and God plans to do the same through us to do something mighty through us It's all about, here's the deal, it's all about bringing glory to God and bringing others into his kingdom while we're here on this earth. That's what it is all about. And it all starts with trust. Trusting in what God is doing with and through us. The moment you say yes to God without really knowing what this is is all about, the trust is there. You're trusting that God knows what he's he's doing. Listen to this, Isaiah 64. And yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Do we trust God to shape us into the person he created us to be? Because it is in this that we discover our identity in him. So we'll we'll wrap this whole thing up with this. Too, Too many of us, as believers in Jesus have have the world's mindset and we're trying to perfect that which we see as imperfections in us when we look in the mirror we see all our flaws we see all the things we don't like but God looks at Psalm 139 and says but I created you so wonderfully complex all those things you don't like about yourself I gave those to you I created that about you the uniqueness of your features and your character and everything I gave that to you because that differentiates you from everybody else. Embrace that, church. And together, let's make the choice today. And allow God to mold us into the person that He knows us best to be. Insecurities and all. Moses was, was went from an insecure person protesting God for all his plans he had to one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. Moses is like, he's a big deal. So let's make the commitment today, together, to trust, and to learn to trust God. Allow him to shape and mold us into the person he created us to be. And, and if we have any doubt how valuable we are to God, look at the cross. Look at the cross. Isaiah 43 says this. This is, what, this is God. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. Amen? Amen? So imagine the voice of God saying the same thing to you that he said to Moses. I will be with you. In all things, church, God is with us. And it is in this that we find our identity in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. I thank you for, for the fact that you didn't give up on Moses, God. Moses didn't want to do it. He didn't feel secure enough. He didn't feel confident enough. He, he, but Moses was the guy you were looking for. And in that insecurity, you did something mighty through him. And you provided the resources with his brother. You provided the strength. You provided the the miracles and the power and everything that Moses needed to free your people from slavery. Some of us here in this room, I feel, are bound to things that God wants to free right now.